Welcome to the Line Break Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Sikora. Hey there. Talking about poems. Talking about poems. <laughs> you're gonna make this you're gonna make this happen. <laughs> we never are. We, we never are. But oh. um, the topic for today is love poems. Love and heartbreak are the gateway for a lot of people to discover poetry. I think I can say that's true for both of us. Agreed. What's so powerful about love poems, why the feeling of love or heartbreak is such a draw for poetry, in my mind, is that love and heartbreak are extremely specific feelings that are uniquely individual. If the poem resists paraphrase, as T.S. Eliot or some other old dead dude once said, love, in my mind, resists a recipe. I can't explain exactly when I fell in love with my wife. I can't explain when or why I realized my I loved my parents or my brother or my best friend. I honestly can't explain when I began to love my son. Of course, I love the concept of my progeny from the moment the pregnancy test was positive on through when he was yanked out of a uterus and I was holding his hand under some heating lamps. It uh, wasn't an easy birth. But the moment I began to... <laughs> but the moment I began to really love him happened a little bit later. I can't remember how or why or when it happened, but I remember little details. One's a little more personal than I'm going to get into right now. But those little details and episodes built up over time. And one day I realized I actually love this kid. Not because I have to, but because I simply do. That's where poetry comes in. Poetry is built of image, music, and metaphor, as some other old dead dude once said. And the closest humans can probably get to describing love is a series of highly specific and sometimes unknowable to the reader, images and metaphors set to a certain certain secret music that exists between the author and the beloved. That all said, I've probably written two poems I'm proud two love poems I'm proud of my whole life. Bob, you're really great at writing love poems. How did you develop such a skill for cutting yourself open and bleeding all over the page without sounding corny? <laughs> um Wow. Uh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna get into this uh, a little bit when I when I specifically thinking of the poem I chose for today. But I think a little bit of the answer is um, I don't know that I write any poems that aren't love poems. Sure, so, fair enough. Yeah, you know if if I am any good at poetry, if I'm successful, at what you're saying, um, it has to come um, from lots of practice at at this one thing and this one topic. But yeah, I'll have more to say about that as we go. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess that, that is a, um, you know, that is a focus of your poetry. Whereas, um, I guess I focus more on, what do I focus on? Like weird world building, um, Mm -hmm. describing experiences of just walking around. I'm not going to call myself a flaneur or anything, but I do a lot of writing while walking. Um, and yeah, I guess like, Love definitely plays into my poetry, but there are very few poems I've ever written and certainly very few that I would read in public that I would necessarily describe as love poems. Um, sure. I don't know. I can't, I can't make it work for my writing uh, frequently. Like it's just, it's either far more personal than I want to get on the page or like I just end up sounding kind of, you know, like, like high school song lyrics kind of thing. Right. I guess. And I like it to do a couple things of, of, of what it does demand that, letting go of some of, of your guard, I think, to write yeah. a successful love poem. Um, and maybe one of the other sides of the coin here, as someone who has had a lot of not success in love, that also opens it up. Um, sure, in yeah. Are, are easier than writing about 
Um, I'm happy love. Love is good. You know, right. It's far um, easier to write a breakup poem or a, right. or even like a, a grieving poem or something right. like that than it right. is to yearning, grieving, heartbreak. Um, that they're all love poems, um, but I, I think it is still particularly difficult to write the poem that is is to in the moment of love or the feeling of love that is active and and good for you. <laughs> right, right. Well, that stuff veers so so quickly into like Hallmark card territory. Yeah, definitely. Um, unless you want to get really granular and specific, um, right? Which then you're like that opens you up to something private between you and whomever you're writing about, be it sure, be sure. it a significant other or a family member or a friend or whatever. It's only going to get more complex and messy from here, uh, Bob. <laughs> Do you have a poem? I do have a poem. I am going to read a poem uh, called Winter by Chen Chen. Um, and this was first published in Poetry Magazine, July slash August 2017. Um, I imagine this will end up in his next book whenever that happens. But his first book um, is absolutely a, a favorite of mine. Um, and I was delighted when I first got the chance to read this one, like from the moment I started reading it. Winter. Big, smelly bowel movements this blue January morning. From the living room TV, a commercial from our TV company. We're the fastest, the only, meaning love us above all others. What makes poop more pungent on certain days? A question for science. From the living room TV, the powerful sight Law, bark, order, meaning love us or else. Years ago, a teacher said never to use the word poop in a poem. Today, the icy kiss of the toilet seat wakes me up. Today, I poop while my boyfriend shouts from the living room. Did you hear that? Meaning the atomic scientists who say we are now two and a half minutes to midnight. But still I marvel whenever poop comes out as one true platonic tube. I am trying to be marvelous and to make my enemies throw up. I mean, if you shower with soap and eat well, maintaining consistent gastrointestinal health, you should be ready for a rim job or other forms of anal play. My boyfriend and I are not platonic. From the TV, a white supremacist cites science, barks, two sides to every. I mean, up the throat, out the mouth, the fastest, the only way the powerful let, will let go of their shit. I mean, my boyfriend and I are not into scat, but if you are, I hope your beloved produces the most fragrant, citrusy shit. I mean, is shit more or less literary than poop? I mean, one winter night I got sick and pooped the bed. And he just got up with me, helped strip the sheets, carry it all to the washer. I kept saying, I'm so sorry, shivering. I'm so, so, I'm so, I'm sorry. But he said, what? Hey, I love you. Yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> it's so good. I mean... We talked about this in another episode of, uh, you know, I, I'm just a sucker for um, throwing out language that is traditionally 
considered conversational or, or unpoetic or, um, you know, just not appropriate. I think it was the last episode, actually, we said it's hard to get less poetic than the word piss. And you, <laughs> if you move on to shit, then, yeah, that's. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and I think that's like one of the conceits he's probably building this from is the idea of I'm going to write this love poem and it starts um, with big smelly bowel movements, you know, starting yeah. from that place. And like, this is this love poem that's about poop. And, and part of, I think what makes it so successful and maybe brings us back to that original question um, is the way that it, it's a love poem. And it's also about so much more than that. Um, right. He's bringing so many darn things into this. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a really political poem. And again, could get into the conversation of how it's inevitably all poems are political. Um, but yeah, that like so much, extra stuff is being brought into that and um you know foregrounding the way that even the really private personal moments of our lives um are affected by all of that outside yeah i actually i want to i want to get into both of those yeah um yeah you hit on both my my thoughts um to me to go back to what you're saying about like it's 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 a a love poem bringing in like the scatological it's it's such a wonderful example of the opposite of a romantic comedy like it's really focused on the mundane like but the mundane at its absolute grossest like you mm-hmm. you 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 poop every day but you don't necessarily write poems about it every day you don't necessarily talk to your partner about it every day right maybe you do i don't know i don't want to judge anybody i'm not we're not here to kink shame but romantic comedies are just like glossy magazine covers mm-hmm. of, of love stories like right. the couple meets they sort of date, they hit a rough patch, they break up, they get back together. That's your 5X right. structure. Yeah. Um, you take that 5X structure, you can write a romantic comedy in the course of a weekend like John Hughes used to do, like, if you want to. Um, <laughs> but, like, love is so much more complicated than that, yes. uh, so much more interesting than that. And, like, in a lot of ways, romantic comedies end at the beginning, whereas, right. like, this is, like this is the sequel. Uh, maybe we're not to the point of like, uh, you know, like the messy Noah Baumbach divorce film yet, but like, you know, it's, 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 it's the, it's the sequel where you are so comfortable with someone that, you know, you shit the bed at night and they just get up and help you clean, clean it up. And you know that you would do the same for them. You know, that's a different level than I think what a lot of, uh, pop culture uh shoves at us yeah it it works absolutely and thinking again too of um yeah the word poop also he brings up the word shit um he does something here that maybe i'm projecting onto it um but there's a line years ago a teacher said never to use the word poop in a poem to me that's baiting or reflecting a little bit a conversation that I've seen, I don't, maybe I've actually talked to some people about this, but I've like seen like tweets about it and like repeatedly in different people that say they were taught to never use the word love in a poem. Um, oh, interesting. I was taught which... to never use the word soul in a poem. <laughs> I never got anything. And I, I, and that's why it's so interesting to me is, is because I never got anything quite that, like this is off limits, which which for me very much is is part of why poetry clicked for me so much. And and again, sure. I think we we talked about for a lot of people the the, the no rules is yeah. part of the appeal. 
Um, and it just, every time I see that or hear that story, it upsets me so much that someone would say you can't use the word love because really that for me, that just turns into like, Oh, I wouldn't have gotten very far. Sure. You know? Sure. Like yeah. just that I, I think I've always written about love. I've always written about yearning. Um, I think a lot of writing can come back to that. I was thinking, you know, yeah, it was like not even just poems. I think my, again, 12th grade, I had to write a, a research paper about Herman Melville and that it was about yearning for love. I know it was, you know, right. Um, but I, I think I've always been driven to like very explicitly like center that and say it and call it by what it is. Um, and so I'm just like deeply upset by that idea that people are taught this. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, there's a, there's, there's a multi-hour conversation about teaching craft that we could have. Cause I will say, um, you know, the Kurt Vonnegut concept of FOMA, which mm-hmm. is like, um, a useful untruth that you believe, but it's like, yeah. it's, it's good to believe it. I think a, a, this isn't quite FOMA, but like a, a useful, a useful lie to tell new writers is to not use, try to write to not necessarily to not use certain words, but try to write without using certain sure. words. Yeah. You have to build in constraints. Like, um, you know, I, I brought up soul, you brought up love. Um, those are words that can get really overused by beginning writers. Right, um, because, and, and the reason that they're off limits is because they're such abstractions. Right. And it's like, you can use those words once you know how to not use them as metonyms for what you're really talking about. <laughs> um, you have to, you have to actually describe what your soul is feeling or whatever, or what your love is before you can just say, you know, uh, you are my love, my soul, right. my whatever, you know, right. um, an example of that in fiction is like, uh, all my workshops in college, we couldn't write genre fiction. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was extremely useful because there were a couple of people in workshops who would write these just like schlocky genre stories that were flagrant ripoffs of stories that already existed Mm-hmm. Um, didn't add anything new to the genre. And so there was like nothing really worthwhile to critique in the workshop. It's just like, mm-hmm. okay, as a, as a monster story, this works, but like, it's not interesting, you mm-hmm. know? And so you have to learn how to, how do I write a ghost story without writing, you know, like a Donald Duck cartoon of a ghost story kind of right. thing, you know? Right. So it's like, I guess my, my counterpoint would be, it's useful for beginning writing, but okay. like, once you, once you learn how to write a fucking poem, then like, you know, like, of course you can use the word soul or love or whatever, you know, um, that would be my counter anyway. Fair enough. I'll I'll take that as fair. Um, I, I, I'm sure I am not, I do not have an MFA and I am not a teacher and I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of problems with what I just said, (laughs) but that's sort of, that's my charitable reading of it. Sure. Yeah, I, I think you, you're you're immediately recognizing, yeah, that some of the pushback against that is going to come from like from people who who just have had those shitty workshop experiences, et cetera. Um, and right, I, and the I, shitty I, workshop I, experience is not something to be discounted. Like, right. it can be damaging to young writers to have their work, you know, just right. just just kicked around a lot like that. But uh, right. yeah, keep going. So, and, and I think here, yeah, he's he's pointing to something a little bit different than either of us were were kind of focused on there. I just know it like brought up those feelings for me, but, um, that idea of that, uh, cause it is, it's a teacher says never use the word poop in the poem. And that, you know, puts forth this idea that any language, 
um, is given preference, that there right. is some like type of language that belongs in a poem. Um, Which is a classist and, you know, preferential idea that, yeah. you know, we should not embrace. And, and it all, and it's just funny too, because it, it just, it feels so antiquated, you know, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I don't know, we read Ginsburg in high school, you know, like yeah. that was already canonized, you know, right. in the early 2000s. So like, it, it feels nuts to me that um, that kind of message is still out there. And, and I don't know, poop. I, some people have issues with poop and I, and I just love how much this poem is pushing back against um, any of that kind of stuff. Um, the two lines, I am trying to be marvelous and to make my enemies throw up. I highlighted that line too. I loved it. Yeah. It's so good. I don't even know if I could quite narrow down why I, I mean, in, in the, the dumb, really obsessing about things. Like I, I, I look at, there's, there's a period in the, on the line break there mm-hmm. um, that I, you know, it just slows you down enough, makes you say both parts of it, like really concretely. Eh? I think there's it's, so many parts of what's going on here. It is two distinct, but interrelated desires. Uh, yeah. And well, it goes back to what you were alluding to earlier with the political side of this poem, where like there is a looming threat of enemies throughout this poem. There's nuclear right. disaster gestured towards, there is um, white nationalists gestures to- mm-hmm. gestured towards, there and it's and it presumably is a queer couple as well. Right. Um, yeah. It is a a love poem about a love that is inherently threatened by a lot of um, portions of society. Yeah. And yeah, there's kind of like a you know you come for me and my love. I am going to try to make you throw up, and I, I kind of love that. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, and what I like. I think there's something really powerful about that of in the face of, cause you're absolutely nailing, nailing it of, of what is political about the poem is these things that threaten queer love. Right. Um, and, and that the, the response to it is, is, is one, I'm, I am going to love this person and I'm going to write about um, our kind of intimacy. Um, and I'm going to talk about, uh, rim jobs and scat in my fucking poem and you know and just like here it fucking is this is right you know um, and the line about um my boyfriend and i are not in the scat like for all you out there who think that gay sex is just this gross thing right. like no we're pretty clean about it you know we just love <laughs> each other and we're intimate you know uh, we are not platonic as 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 chen says yeah, um, yeah. uh and describing a Tube of poop is platonic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just clean and easy. You know? <laughs> it really, it, yeah, it goes there with with poop. Yeah, yeah. I I never grew out of that, and I'm glad that there's a poem that, uh, <laughs> that uh, affirms uh, that I think poop is funny, and you know, we have weird hangups about poops and butts, and <laughs> right, right. No, I'm really glad this is our third episode. I hope uh, my family and my in-laws make it to this episode. Um, they probably won't, but... <laughs> uh, oh, my. Yeah, that's where it took us. <laughs> it's where it took us. <laughs> All right, I'm going to move along. Sounds good. All right, so this is a poem called Steps by uh, Frank O'Hara. Uh, everyone at home, take a shot. We mentioned Frank O'Hara. Um, <laughs> three for three. 
three. Uh, we, I'm going to take a break from reading Frank O'Hara poems for a while, but um, this is just the, uh, the love poem that I return to frequently. This is Steps by Frank O'Hara. How funny you are today, New York, like Ginger Rogers in swing time and St. Bridget's steeple leaning a little to the left. Here I have just jumped out of bed full of V-days. I got tired of D-days. And blue you there still accepts me foolish and free. All I want is a room up there, and you in it. And even the traffic halt so thick is a way for people to rub up against each other. And when their surgical appliances lock, they stay together for the rest of the day. What a day. I go by to check a slide, and I say, that painting's not so blue. Where's Lana Turner? She's out eating, and Garbo's backstage at the Met. Everyone's taking their coat off, so they can show a rib cage to the rib watchers. And the park's full of dancers with their tights and shoes in little bags, who are often mistaken for worker outers at the West Side Y. Why not? The Pittsburgh Pirates shout because they won, and in a sense, we're all living. We're alive. The apartment was vacated by a gay couple who moved to the country for fun. They moved a day too soon. Even the stabbings are helping the population explosion, though in the wrong country. And all those liars have left the UN, the Seagram's building no longer rivaled in interest. Not that we need liquor. We just like it. And the little box is out on the sidewalk next to the delicatessen, so the old men can sit and drink beer and get knocked off it by his wife later in the day while the sun is still shining. Oh God, it's wonderful to get out of bed and drink too much coffee and smoke too many cigarettes and love you so much. It's a good one. It's a good one. St. Francis does it again. St. Francis. To me, there's like a, um, there's an airiness to this poem, a sort of new love feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. when, when all you want to do is be around your partner just all the time. Um, the, all I want is a room up there and you in it. And they stay together for the rest of the day. What a day. Uh, even at the end, the Oh God, It's Wonderful stanza, which is just an yeah. all-time great. Right. Um, that feeling that when you're with someone who kind of unlocks the world for you and makes you feel like you're absolutely just floating through life, like there's right. no such thing as too much coffee and too much cigarettes. Like that's, those are my <laughs> vices, but like, you know, like the just, the just feeling of like, of, you know, uh, the two of you can, can do anything. The world is yours. And, uh, not in the predatory capitalist sense, but like the perfect feeling of taking in the day with, with your partner. Um, uh, or, or, or even with, with someone you just really care about a friend, family member, right. Or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's where this poem takes me. Agreed. Agreed. Um, there's something about, it's definitely something in the rhythm and it's definitely something in kind of the, the classic Frank, um, observe, 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 move, 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 um, that like, just like you're saying, it feels breezy. It feels, um, Oh, what am I looking for? It's been so long since I felt this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I guess like going back to that line you just said, like all I want is a room up there and you in it, where it's like not even doing the thing is so good. Just desiring 
Um, right. To have a day like this is so good. Just thinking about a day like this is so yeah. good. And that like all of these people around that he's observing are kind of somehow in on it. The pirates shout uh, because they won. Um, the liars have left the UN. <laughs> <laughs> the old man can sit on it and drink a beer. Um, and even uh, seemingly enemies too, because the pirates are not from New York. Right. Uh, so presumably the Mets have just lost. <laughs> <laughs> there are stabbings going on, which causes something to happen at the UN. I don't know, but it doesn't seem good. No, it but doesn't. <laughs> there's a sense that none of that can touch us. We are we are together and we are in love, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. How on earth do you write that last stanza? <laughs> How do you get away with that last stanza? How do you get away with it? I think that's part of why I'm drawn to it so much. It does describe such a specific feeling, but like, I just can't imagine ever, ever writing that and yeah. feeling comfortable pressing send on a submittable. You know, <laughs> I would. I guess I would add two of. Um something at play in both the poems. And again, I think something we're, we're pointing to that we admire in a good love poem um, is that it relies on so much specificity and those details that are about a specific intimacy that the writer is using um, to make it to that last stanza to the place that is the universal I know universal might not be the word I want to use, but you know, yeah, that, that feeling, you know, that, that gets to the greater theme and the thing that, that anyone can, can sit there and have their own kind of connection with their feeling about. Yeah, Um, certainly. Um, yeah, it's, it, when you have that many specific details and it does feel that personal, you can get away with sort of a bit of a grandiose flourish at the end. Yes, definitely. Um, and getaway is not the, you know, not necessarily the way I want to frame it, but like you can earn a stanza like that at the end. Right. Right. Oh, and the the talk earlier about teachers is, is very, you know, teaching writing and and writing workshops, bad workshops is is making me think about all of the language. (laughs) Just like you're saying, get away with it, earning it. Like what do these things mean? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You don't want to frame it as like, yeah, necessarily bad, but just sort of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't even have the vocabulary besides earning it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean there's there's a sense of if that end of the poem feels too easy, too yeah, it is it's a really hard idea. And, and I mean what it what I was just thinking as I was trying to frame that was how I love the idea of thinking of like what a workshop would do with a Frank O'Hara. You know, if, if Frank O'Hara is in right. your, your poetry workshop, what do they do? How do they react? Right. If, 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 if one of these canonized writers that mm-hmm. we have spent so much time being taught and looking up to is put in a workshop and they're not the canonized writer, they're just another, you know, 20 year old or whatever. Right. Um, you know, yeah. How do you react to that? Which is hard. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hard to imagine because it's, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have, a, I have a fear of what if I ever like eviscerated the next you know, Emily Dickinson or whatever in college when I was just some dumbass kid who was like just figuring it out too. Um, you know, I don't know. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Perhaps a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, 
no, that, that, again, you've got me now. Now I'm like replaying workshops. I'm like, mm, which ones have been good? Which ones have been bad? Which ones, you know, um, right. I've, actually, I've actually had mostly wonderful workshops and not, nothing framed too, too much that would ruin the next Frank O'Hara or Emily Dickinson. Or right. Like well, uh, I always do the thing of, um, I, 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 I would say I've had almost entirely positive workshop experiences too, but I always do the thing of, you know, even years down the line being like, was I too much of a jerk just then? Like, you know, was <laughs> yeah, I, was right. like, you know, always second guessing everything I say, like, right. Was I constructive or was I an asshole? You know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> um, uh, oh my. Um, I was just thinking there was another line that I wanted to stop and think about. Oh, I guess it's right up at the beginning. And I don't know if I have anything new to say about this. All I want is a room up there and you in it. And even the traffic halt so thick is a way for people to rub up against each other. It's such a funny freaking line. <laughs> yeah. There is a, um, there's a certain amount of horniness in this poem. Yeah. Like, right. There is, um, there is, uh, that definitely he, needs to be pointed out. Yeah. <laughs> he wants other people to rub up against each other too. Um, everyone's looking at each other's ribs. Ribs, not a traditional secondary sexual characteristic. Like, you know, we're not like, you know, not necessarily ogling people on the street. Just like, hey, show me some of them ribs. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's immediately making me want to do a second reread and be like, how much, how much like sex and horniness can I find in this poem? Right. Uh, It's because it's there. It was, yeah, it was definitely on my mind too. It was just like, okay, yeah, this seems like it's written about an experience he's having with another person, but he also could just be checking everybody out on the street. (laughs) Which also, I love framing that as love. (laughs) Yeah, sure, why not? I'm so in love that I am everybody. I'm look, I'm. Maybe that's (laughs) you have to. Well, you have to. You have to. You know, it it can't be predatory or catcalling or anything like that. Yeah, we are, of course. Two men talking about this, yeah. um, but uh, but but yeah, there is something to when you're in such a good mood. Um, I think both of us being in Chicago and um, being on lockdown all winter, and then going out in the summer, and all of a sudden, just everyone instead of wearing like sleeping bag coats, is just like yeah. beautiful now. A hundred percent, yes. Just like. And part of part of part of being beautiful is simply existing on the sidewalk. Like, oh, I'm out of the house, and you're out of the house too. This is great. <laughs> this is going to read like quarantine content, but I swear it happens every May in Chicago. I say that is entirely accurate. Um, it's I'm just thinking about it in relation to quarantine is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> God damn. <laughs> These are the places that Frank takes us. These are the places that Frank takes us. Okay. So the topic today is uh, love poems. Love takes many forms. Um, <laughs> who is a player, a non-Clippers NBA player, you've irrationally loved? Bonus points if it's an unrequited love, like someone who's ripped the Clippers' hearts out in the playoffs – or say taking an all NBA spot from Blake Griffin or something. <laughs> I will go first while you think. Okay. Uh, mine is Ray Allen. Okay. Um, of course, the beautiful shot form comes to mind, but sure. um, there's just something so smooth about his entire being. Um, he gets pigeonholed as a shooter, 
But for most of his career, he had a really smooth hesitation dribble. It was like really graceful in the fast break. Um, I've also had a weird affinity for the number 20 my entire sure. life. It would probably be the second jersey choice I, I, I had. Um, okay. And he wore that in Boston. Um, he played for the Sonics, which is a sentimental favorite for any right-thinking NBA fan. Um, <laughs> and as a bonus, he has destroyed the Bulls in the playoffs twice. Uh, first in 2009, that uh, epic seven-game, seven-total overtime uh, first-round series in Derrick Rose's rookie year. Yeah. And then in 2013, where he's on maybe my most sports-hated team of all time, the uh, <laughs> Miami Hollywood Heat, um, yeah. where he uh, um, beat the Bulls in a series that they had no chance of winning anyway. But then they also, right. in 2013, as a bonus, beat my beloved Spurs. Um, so Ray Allen has ripped my heart out on multiple occasions and I've maintained my love for him always. Um, absolutely killed. He got game. Um, he's a more versatile player than he gets credit for now. Um, he should get more credit credit for his longevity and just smooth and wonderful. And until Steph Curry came along was the greatest shooter of all time. Agreed all around. I was just thinking on that. When you said the longevity thing, it just reminded me that, there was a little while where he retired and he let, like, they just kind of kept saying like, he might come back. He might. Right. He flirted with the Warriors for a while. And he totally could have. Like, yeah. he still had it in him. 10 minutes off the bench. Like he's, yeah. he's no different than like 2005, Steve Kerr on the Spurs, you know, <laughs> or probably better, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling to come up with a contemporary player or even like relatively contemporary um, in part, cause when you brought up the bonus points, I was like, the only team that's like beat the Clippers and it's pissed me off is the Warriors. And I just will not admit to liking any of those guys. <laughs> yeah. When I was writing out this question, I, I didn't want to bring it up, but the Clippers haven't made a lot of playoffs. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I thought of, uh, which I, I've also gotten trash for numerous occasions, um, is, uh, I love John Stockton, which <laughs> Oh, yeah. You do have weird love for John Stockton. Nobody else apparently does. Um, you know, and, and I actively rooted against, you know, I, I was getting, I really got into basketball for the second Bulls three-peat. Loved Michael Jordan, loved the Bulls. And so two finals actively rooted against this guy. Um, but similar, you know, like once that ended, I had no reason to really care about the Jazz. Um, and he kept playing for... I think he played 19 years, years, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I think he retired in 2003, and then Malone signed with the Jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so an incredibly long career, and just, I don't remember anyone else playing just, like, so under control. Really, Chris Paul and him are the point guards are just in control all the time. Yeah, Um, you definitely have a point guard type. I guess so. And, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't, he looks so small and like a dad. (laughs) He he does look like five, six on the court. Um, He's like six, two or whatever, but he's, he's, he's somehow smaller than six, two. Yeah. Uh, he looks just, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I feel like it's watching a guy who coached my park league team in junior high. Yeah. Uh, 
it's uh it's very hard for me to be objective about those uh, jazz teams um because one Carl Malone is so aggressively uncool right and um uh when I kind of came a lot came online about watching basketball it was like during that second Bulls three peat so it was like rooting against against the Jazz not even for aesthetic reasons because I was nine but like <laughs> you know just like um, just wanting the Bulls to win right. um but if they're People from that team, uh, I always liked Shandon Anderson for some reason, probably mm-hmm. just his name. Um, uh, Antoine Carr, of course, had the the the, the, the sunglasses that um, mm-hmm. 90s Chris thought was cool. Um, <laughs> and then um, uh, I, I did always like Jeff Hornacek uh, until I found out that his daughter is a Fox News contributor. Um, how cool can you be when, when you, when you somehow raised a Fox News contributor? Competing Jordan documentary right now. Oh man, uh, it was <laughs> piece. John Gonzalez at the Ringer wrote a piece on that documentary. It was like I assume the whole thing would just be tapes of of Hornacek saying, "Oh no," and please stop. <laughs> so great, but um, but you know what? I I, I would I would say Stockton was kind of kind of cool. Um, he seemed uh inflappable unflappable um yeah. just like all, yeah always in control but also just like I mean, he could get to his spots he could bring the ball up i would you know if he shot if he kind of like steve nash if he shot more threes right he probably could have put up some better numbers um underrated defender yeah um he's like a strong dude for how wiry he was yeah i could <laughs> i could find some uh I could find some reason to like Stockton. Um, <laughs> you, you, you loving him is weird, but I could find some reason to like it. I yeah. agree. Like you said, I don't understand it. It's unrequited. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just years later, I was like, I kind of still like that guy. And yeah, uh, yeah. ended up being gifted a jersey of his. So now I got a red one. And it's a cool jersey. I like those purple Utah jerseys with a mountain. I agree. And I'm remembering, too, that as someone who lived in Utah for two years, that also, I think, probably plays into it. Uh, sure. With, yeah. Uh, yeah but it renewed. predates your living in Utah, right? Well, me liking him, yeah, I guess so. That, it, it helped, though. It helped that I lived for, there for two years. Uh, got to see the Stockton statue. Outside right. the arena, you know, yeah. Yeah, that builds it up, yeah. Um, for sure. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll have one final anecdote here. Um, there is, and Lord knows, uh, one I want to just shout out concert venues because they're getting hit so hard right now. Sure. Um, Lord knows when, if it'll still be open or if we'll ever get, be able to get back there. But there's a small little concert venue in Salt Lake City, and I'm, it's going to drive me crazy. I don't remember the name. But in the back wall, there is like, a incredibly large mural of Carl Malone that's just like gaudy and over the top. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine a gaudy mural of Carl Malone oh, yeah. or his oh, biceps as big so as his head. Like, <laughs> is he dunking with a cowboy hat on? It, in my head, it feels like it's it's supposed to be similar to the Jordan holding his hands out. It's not quite that pose, but yeah, it's definitely like because it was a long horizontal one. Oh sure. Yeah. It was oh, special. <laughs> yeah, if they still exist, I, I will have to see it. Because I, I do want to go back and spend some time in Salt Lake City. Uh and we were uh going to our friend Kevin's wedding, uh Tom and I flew into Salt Lake City and right. I remember just like not thinking anything of it and then 
stepping out of the airport and being like, oh my God, this place is beautiful. Uh, I, need, I need to come back here. <laughs> Everything Denver has without the hype. It's kind of a... Uh, see, I like that. <laughs> oh my. All right. All right. Well, I think that's an episode. Um, what's a good sign off? Love somebody? Love more than one somebody? Love a lot of people? Get out there and love today. Oof. I don't <laughs> love it. <laughs>